Hello out there to all my lit lovers and word warriors. I'm your host, K.E. Robinson, and you're kicking it with me in the author spot, the hottest spot for the reader and you. If you're an author looking to tell your story or a reader looking for the next great one to dive into, join us at theauthorspot.com for books, reviews, and other great tools. Lit lovers and word warriors, welcome back to season three of The Author Spot. I'm bringing to you guys today somebody very close to me, somebody that is in the same realm as me. And when I talk about realms, I mean the atmosphere, atmosphere press. Coming to you on this fantasy Friday in February, I am bringing you author A.E. Jurgens, the author of the fantasy series Ashling. But the first book we're going to talk about, Ashling, Breath of a New Creature, and then we're going to talk about the one she has coming out pretty soon. So A.E., we want them to purchase your books, but first let them buy into you. Welcoming to the author spot, A.E. Jurgens. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about our books. Absolutely. So AE, you released one book. I don't even know. It hasn't even been a year since you released the first one, right? And I, I know yours because I know when I released mine and they were relatively close. You were the only person I was willing to share Crescent June with. We have a few other buddies that were in that group, but you're the only one I really talked to that much. Nothing personal to anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. But, you know, you know, and everybody else doesn't talk as much as, as, as we did. So you drop Ashling and you've already gotten a lot of stuff noticed about that. Can you tell everybody what the first book is about? So Ashling, Breath of the New Creature, is about a mortal princess who has a politically arranged marriage to this fey king in a world that set it's i've heard compared a lot to narnia it's very magical and kind of whimsical but also a very high epic dark fantasy world and essentially she's kind of thrown into the midst of this like war plagued era and it really is heavily inspired by traditional celtic mythology so i use the original legends of where the fair folk or the fae originate and come from and then i kind of meshed that with my own narrative and my own story and kind of took it from there and it's definitely a lot about the main character ashling's self-discovery and who she is and she is a morally great character who kind of learns that about herself as she's influenced by this barbaric more savage fey king that she becomes married to and with him i wanted it to be Obviously, this is all fantasy, it's all fictional, but if it were real, I wanted it to feel as authentic or real as it would be. So a fake king would be very morally gray, he would be very savage and wild, and he kind of pulls that out of her. And as we go through the first book, she learns a lot about herself and that the war as she once knew it before she married him is very different than she ever realized. And she gets to see this world and the fey world and also her old mortal world in, from a very different perspective than she ever realized that she would. And so that's kind of what the first book is about, is, is her journey and her discovering about this new fey world that the fey king kind of takes her into. And I want to ask, you mentioned the influences, right? And I know everybody is influenced by different things for different mm -hmm. reasons. When you mentioned the Celtic influences on this book, why, why did you choose that particular structure to mimic, along with yours, along with your history, but why mm -hmm. particularly the Celtic structure? 
Well, I grew up on Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, like so many other fantasy authors. I was just in love with the worlds that they created and that really authentic fantasy kind of traditional feeling. And then I was also brought up on the Arthurian legends and Celtic folktales and fairy tales. And a lot of that mythology is kind of the origin of uh, other fairy tales that we see in other cultures or in kind of like, for example, Disney really took their spin on fairies, which is very different from original Celtic folklore. And I found that interesting that when we think of fairies, we think of Tinkerbell. But what I really wanted was to show what the Celts and these fairy tales that I had grown up listening to and um, loving, I wanted to kind of show what that was all about. And there are so many great books out there that do it absolutely beautifully. So they inspired me as well. But I just love how rich the lore is. I mean, it's so vast. There's so many different legends and stories. And I take liberties of my own with it. So I started out with the original war between mortals and Ishi, which is the fair folk in original Celtic mythology. And then I kind of took it from there with my own narrative and I add a few of my own imaginative elements to make it better suit my story. But it was mostly just me growing up on it and absolutely loving it and wanting to explore it a little bit more in a story that I would love reading if I was to read it. And we're all told that if there's a story that you want to read, you should write it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right? And essentially, I believe that's what you did. And, and taking that, taking the Celtic influences, your own background and influences, and you came and you made this story, in which I see that there are a lot of people that like this story, right? Yeah, Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that Akatar, A Court of Thorns and Roses, came out about midway through me writing my book. And that book has been out for much longer than mine has. The author, Sarah J. Mass, also did the Throne of Glass series, and they all borrow a lot from original Celtic mythology as well. And they do it in, in a similar way that I do it. Mine is more epic or high and like dark fantasy, I guess you could say. But when her books really started taking off, for example, on Book Talk, was the first time that I saw that, wow, there's a real audience for this and that people really enjoy this. And that encouraged me to then pursue publishing it, querying. So I also, I would have to credit Sarah J. Mass and the Akatar series for showing me that, you know, there are other people out there like me who would like this kind of genre or this kind of story. And I'm happy that you mentioned that because I see there's a lot of people in fantasy because my book is so all over the place. It kind of dabbles in a little bit of everything. But the book talk thing that you just mentioned, I'm finding out that's kind of a real thing here. Right. And yeah. I, I wasn't really a TikTok guy. Like I, I'm, I'm still I'm not getting up there and dancing every time you turn around. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying AE. It's, it's just not mm-hmm. something I'm interested in doing. Right. Um, yeah. More of a private person, but I am starting to really kind of see that there's an area for this on TikTok. Like I recently re- released a video or something myself. No, it wasn't even a video. It was TikTok. It was a picture, right? And little music behind it. And there's people that genuinely like it and follow it or whatever the case may be. Like I was surprised by it. Can you kind of tell, and this is for the other authors, can you kind of tell them what they should expect or how they should kind of move on TikTok? And don't give away all your secrets, but just kind of letting people know like <laughs> about that world out there. Oh, yeah. Like, so I also, after I read the A Court of Thrones and Roses books, I was on TikTok and I started getting, seeing a lot of content about that series in specific. And then as 
book talk grew, you got book talkers, uh, book bloggers, booktubers, all of them were kind of merging onto this one platform and sharing their love and passion for the books. And I absolutely love book talk. I love seeing other people so passionate about reading and writing and having this beautiful community there. So when I saw it, I immediately was like, wow, there's a real place here for me to share my stories with other people who might enjoy them as well. But I'm also super introverted, very private. I don't like putting myself out there very much. And I'm definitely not someone who would like to dance on video or anything like that, simply because I'm, it would be very embarrassing (laughs) for me and everyone else if I were to do that. I love watching other people's videos where they do that. But for me specifically, I always cringe at myself. So when I went onto it, I saw a lot of like the book aesthetic videos where they would show like either page flips with the quotes on top or kind of like music. And then they'd show videos from that either they made or like pictures from like Pexels or whatever. And kind of showing what the general vibe was of your book and putting together almost like it was such a creative work that they would put together in the end, where they're gathering pictures and videos and music. And I tried one out for myself where I was like flipping my book and then the camera would zoom in and I'd do a transition where it came into like a bunch of pictures that would kind of accurately portray the vibe and essence, the Celtic, the adventure, a little bit of romance in there. And I kind of got so addicted to it. I was like, this is another creative outlet that I get to express what my book is about in a different way than simply writing it. And I lo- that's where I kind of found my niche in uh, book talk was doing those sorts of videos. And I've definitely put myself out of my comfort zone and put my face on there more. I think that readers really enjoy connecting with the author nowadays. And they like feeling like they're not only following the books and the stories and the characters that you create, but they're also following you and your growth. And there's so many beautiful success stories that come out of book talk. So I think that people love being a part of that. And yeah, I mean, like, I I have to thank all of my book talk viewers and uh, bookstagram as well on Instagram, a similar thing where and without them without that audience, I, I wouldn't have people as interested in my book as they are now. So it's really a great place to share your work in a way that I don't think that we've that us smaller authors have ever had before, unless you have like a huge big five publishing house behind you. I think it's great. And it offers such a wonderful opportunity for other writers. You know, absolutely. You got to find a way to level the playing field, right? When you don't have typical top name publishers behind you, you got to find ways. You got to put yourself out there more, right? Yeah. It's about advertising. It's Mm -hmm. about familiarizing yourself. And there's two things you mentioned in that statement that I found very prevalent, but I'll I'll mention one right now. Let's talk about what you said about the community, the writing community. That's something that I stress. And as you remember, Mm -hmm. that's one thing that they tried to do with us originally, right? That's how me and AE got acquainted, right? There's a group of us that they put together and they do this. Atmosphere Press, I believe, is pretty good about this with books that were, I guess they were coming out roughly around the same time. And they hey, said, hey, you guys get each other's information, do these things. Me and AE have been with each other on Instagram ever since and talking to each other. In fact, this should not be the first time that you've heard AE's name if you tune into the author spot quite often. I'm going to tell you why. The night of my release, my release episode, who asked me some of those questions? AE got on Instagram and asked me some of those questions that were coming out. So here, behold, here we are months later. Now she's on the episode of her own as well. Writing community. Important to have the support of other writers around you. Can't stress it enough. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I am definitely, I don't know if you've read the Harry Potter books or if you're a Potterhead. I take a lot of importance in everybody's Hogwarts house. I find it super accurate, kind of ironically, but it became very serious after a certain period of time. But I am a Slytherin through and through. So I am very ambitious. And throughout my life, I've been very competitive. And so when I originally saw, you know, other writers or book talkers and stuff, there was this element of not seeing community, but seeing competition. And it's taken some time, but I have been so grateful to kind of grow out of that and just absolutely, I mean, I find so much satisfaction in supporting other writers and other authors and other people in the same, in the community than I ever did being super competitive. Because at the end of the day, when one of us grows, we all grow. And in the creative space, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're constantly having to compete with other people or constantly having to fight with other people for a spotlight. The best thing is when people are lifting you up, when people are encouraging you, when you're learning from other people, when they're learning from you and you, I mean, I've made so many great friends, including you. And it's just, it's a really an honor to be on this podcast, to be quite honest. Absolutely happy to have you on. I would have had you on sooner, but I do feel like this worked out the way it needs to especially considering an announcement we may have a little later on. I think it worked out a little perfectly, a little bit beyond perfectly, right? We'll talk about that in a minute here. But I mean, I just want people to understand the true value in support. Speaking of support, speaking of it, let's talk about Ashling and that husband of hers, the Savage. How Mm -hmm. does Ashling navigate herself, not even him? How does she navigate herself, I mean, more so internally than telling, you know, everybody what happened in the book. How does she navigate herself while dealing with him and his nature? That Yeah, that's such a great question. So um, growing up, I was, uh, I moved around a lot to different countries because of my dad's job. And so that was a part of the inspiration for the story was this young woman leaving her home behind and going into a world that she knew nothing about. She didn't know, she doesn't know the Fae language. She doesn't know their culture. And she's completely shell shocked, culture shocked. As soon as she kind of steps into this world, there's a huge invisible barrier between her and everyone else who is not her blood, who is not like her. And she finds a lot of enemies. People don't like her. She she is kind of the ambassador for the mortal race and people. And the Fae have centuries of of learning that they that they dislike the mortals. And so she steps into this world where she's essentially the enemy and the ambassador for her father, who's like the leader, the high king of the mortals and um, her husband's nemesis at this time. And so there's definitely a lot of tension there. And I enjoyed writing that tension, kind of exploring this dynamic between two cultures that just did not mesh. And, um, and kind of borrowing from my own experiences of going somewhere new. And the food For example, the milk tastes different and it sounds so simple and so silly, but it makes a big deal when you're away from home and you don't have any of those usual comforts and not even the simplest of things are familiar to you. And so she definitely struggles with that as she becomes more acquainted with this magical world when she had been raised to believe that magic was wrong or a perversity of nature. Now she's confronted with this world where the mortals are wrong for everything that they did. And it definitely develops this really strong cognitive dissonance in her that she fights with for a large portion of the book. And and she kind of learns in herself, though, that there is a part of her that has always kind of been born to be this ambassador, to learn about this new world and to see the world through two pairs of eyes, the culture of the Fae and those of the mortals. And then she has her husband, like you said, 
the fake king who's essentially like the nightmare that the mortals have taught her about since she was born and he lives up to that reputation in a lot of ways it's definitely a true enemies to lovers as they say the trope because they despise one another to begin they're enemies by both blood and then both in personality they don't understand where one another comes from but as they get to know each other and they kind of get to see one another for who they are it starts to make a big difference in their relationship especially when he kind of sees something, her husband, his name is Lear, the fake king, he sees something in Ashling that no one has ever seen before, which is that she has this wild nature inside of her that awakens something that she didn't realize was inside of her the whole time. And that's a bond that they really have together is that is that he saw something that her family never did a certain power in her that had been stifled by her like mortal proprietary culture. And she in turn, kind of shows him a sense of courage, this courage to sacrifice everything for her kind to and a certain like protectiveness or loyalty that he values being a king himself and being very loyal to his kind. And so they kind of find something a certain, even though they're complete opposites, they kind of find a certain duality between one another where they're kind of yin and yang, and they complement one another in that way. And I wanted to make it so they had redemptive qualities But overall, I wanted them to truly be quite morally gray. And for example, for him, he kind of stays a villain throughout, but he's somehow a villain that you're rooting for, essentially, by the end of it. And I think that that's kind of how she ends up really getting to know him and he gets to know her as they find some kind of common ground between one another that they can see eye to eye. And isn't that essentially what love is, right? It's seeing something in somebody else that others probably cannot recognize or see, right? Or, or seeing it at a higher value yeah, than others might, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's essentially what love mm-hmm. is. So even despite their Hatfield and McCoy background, they eventually come to a Romeo and Juliet type agreement. I'm, I'm not telling the ending of the story, guys. It's just a, it's a comparison. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a you know, right? I'm not, I'm not foreshadowing anything here. I'm just, yeah. I'm just kind of comparing. But that's essentially, and just how, one thing you just mentioned, and, I, and my how is the cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to trade what you know for what you've always been taught? Oh, yeah. That was a quote that I had in my book of one of the Fae telling her to really question everything that she's ever been taught and not to stake your life and your values on unchallenged lies. And it's something she struggles with throughout the book. And I've gotten some people saying that like, oh, it's just taking her so long to realize that like, she needs to be with the fake king, or she needs to do this, or the fae are obviously the ones that we're rooting for here. They're the cooler characters. And I've always thought when I was writing it, I really wanted it to be super realistic, because realistically and authentically, it would take someone a really long time to kind of start to question the beliefs that they founded their entire life upon whether they're wrong or right or whatever it is, realistically, it would take time and some motivate. And even if they have all the answers in front of them, just time to kind of mull it over and think about it and really take it to heart. And I wanted that payoff to really be impactful when she does really start. And it's not a spoiler to say that she does really start to change. It's part of her self-discovery journey throughout the second one, where she kind of becomes very empowered, thanks to the fake king, who sees something in her that her family never did, that they never gave her credit for. But yeah, it was so difficult to write because I wanted it to be of a good enough pace for the story, but I also wanted it to be impactful and realistic and authentic. 
inauthentic it should be. And I just want everybody to kind of ponder this. Let's say even at the most medieval of our times, right? At the youngest, Ashling could have been to have been married, maybe 14 at the youngest. I'm not saying that's her age. I'm just yeah. drawing a timeline here, right? Meets the Fey King. She wasn't fighting this for 14 or so years. So you're asking somebody to put away what they've been taught and ingrained for 14 plus years to put away what they've just seen in some moments by comparison. Mm -hmm. Come on, guys. Yeah. We know it's not that simple. Yeah. We we know it's not that simple. I mean, come on. So, I mean, I I think that is a little bit more realistic, AE. I mean, honestly, because we do have to see some tricks maybe more than once to realize it's not a trick. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's interesting that her enemy is also telling her these things. So she initially receives all this information as it's a lie, it's deception coming from creatures, the Fae, who traditionally are known to have silver tongues. The traditional Celtic mythology, though, the Fae are very tricky and mischievous. However, they cannot tell a lie. It is the original lore. And so that makes it interesting for her because she's realizing that I don't believe them. They have to be making it up. They have to be tricking me. Yet, magically, they are bound to tell the truth. They cannot lie, even though they're very good at playing around with their words and deceiving one. So she's kind of met with this with this reality of the laws of the world and how truth is designed in this world are not how she ever realized. She never realized that it would end up working to her disadvantage in terms of sticking to her original beliefs. So I think that it's it's interesting for her to have to kind of confront these new magical laws that she knew and realized were at play before she married the fake king. And that definitely kind of helped to push her in the right direction in terms of seeing the world through a more impartial kind of like perspective. Hey, I mean, let's be honest, guys, it's be a little bit more difficult for all of us, right? Especially when we're being told or if we just don't like where something is coming from. It's hard for us to swallow a certain pill. We don't like the doctor that gave it to us for whatever reason. Yeah. Part of what takes so long to accept it is accepting who it came from and in the why. Speaking of who it comes from, because this continues. Let's talk a little bit about what we have coming up and when, A.E., since we're already on the path here for Ashling, let's talk about Ashling a spell unbinding. When can we expect to see that? So Ashling a spell unbinding will release February 4th. It should already be up for pre-order, so you can go ahead and pre-order it. But it'll release officially on February 4th. And I am extremely excited about it because as we've kind of been talking about, book one deals a lot with her learning about this new fey world, the magic, the darkness of it, how it's bloodthirsty, it's violent, but it's also beautiful and whimsical. And the second book is kind of meets her journey in a place where she's already kind of confronted this idea of that everything she knew was not how it really was. And so the second book is much faster paced. There's a lot more action. There's a lot more romance. And the relationship between her and the fake king becomes extremely complicated because once more their goals and their objectives are kind of found at odds yet they have this natural attraction to one another and a more magical attraction to one another that 
you find out in book one, they're kind of fated soulmates, essentially, but they're also destructive soulmates. So they're kind of have this doom or kind of like ill omen about their relationship. But it's also complicated by one of her childhood friends, who was a mortal prince who was initially intended to marry her. And so in book two, you see her struggling between these two sides. And it kind of is going to come to a front for her where she feels like, the mortal prince signifies her humanity and the fake king signifies her more magical side that he discovered in her in the first book. And throughout the second book, she's torn between this. And as she races for answers about who she really is and what the secrets that she found out in book one are about, those decisions kind of come to a head and it's very dramatic. And I'm so excited about it. I had so much fun writing it. So I can't wait for everyone to read it. And I think there's plenty of people who are going to be excited or anticipating that probably seeing it with the pre-order now. I think there's plenty of people who cannot wait till February 4th. Just from if you guys go on Amazon right now, or if you've been on there before, you looked up A. Jurgens and you looked up Ashling, right? And you looked up a series, A-I-S-L-I-N-G, instantly pull up that first book. You will see there are plenty of people who have looked at this book and have enjoyed it. The first one. I don't know if that's going to change much in the second, but I doubt it. A.E., since it's me and you talking here, let me ask you this question. Was it easier writing the first book or the second book? Mm, so I've never written a sequel before. I've only ever read the first book in a series several times as I kind of pick up a new series. Ashling was the first book that I pursued publishing with. So I was really excited about writing the sequel. And I found the sequel to be a lot easier. I've, I've heard mixed things from different authors. Some people find the first book to be a lot easier. My personal experience was the second book. I, As soon as I started typing, it, the story took off. And um, I already had my characters in place. I knew who they were. I knew what they wanted. The world had already kind of been completely laid out and foundational in the first book. And of course, you expand on all the characters. You dive deeper into the world, into the characters, into the narrative. But that is always just fun. As soon as you get that foundational work done in the first book, I found that the second book kind of unraveled on its own and took a life of its own. I always tell other writers this is that my personal opinion on writing and stories is that the author kind of it's like a clock like the author and the writer I'm sure you know like you kind of click start but then your characters really become their own person almost where you're writing and you're like wait a minute I didn't mean for you to do that but all of a sudden they're doing it and the story takes on a life of its own and I think that that's really magical and something so incredible about writing and storytelling. And so for me, that was generally the experience for book two, is that it wrote itself in many ways. I agree with you on certain standpoints there, right? As far as how <laughs> the book goes. Now, for me, book two was harder, but because oh. I have this thing about maintaining. Here's the thing, and, and this isn't about me, but book one and book three are the ones that beginning and end, essentially, are what I knew. Second book is the bridge. That's why it was a little harder. That's my experience because the second book is kind of the bridge and then it's become more than that. That's why that one was harder because I yeah. had to fill mm -hmm. in the space between one and three without having written three, mind you. Oh, yeah. Based solely on one and, and going forward with. But one thing I will agree is how characters take off on a mind of their own because how about writing a story and then maintaining a character that you only meant to just mention, just oh, meant to yeah. casually mention. And somehow you find an importance in a way to make this character bigger than what you intended. Or the character finds a way to make themselves bigger <laughs> than what you intended. W what about that? 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah. When I first started writing Ashling book one, one of my characters, Ina, she is one of the original 12 Sid sovereigns who kind of was, she was essentially one of the first creations by the gods who created the world from this great forge of creation. And she was initially supposed to be an element of world building, where this culture, this fey world, has their own folk tales and songs that they sing around a fire and enjoy together. And then slowly that character becomes almost the entire center of my plot. And I was like, how did this happen? But it just took on a life of its own, like we've been saying, and it was just so incredible. And now she's one of my favorite characters. And she might be plenty of other people's favorite characters. Sometimes that tips the scales and what, what happens, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's certain characters you heard about in book one that you made sure were featured more or whatever going into a spell and binding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, that's sometimes, guys, you know, for you people who are readers that are listening to this and you writers might understand, but for you readers, that's sometimes how it happens. You guys have more influence not more influenced than the characters do. You know, don't get that high on yourself. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, but I'm, I, you know, you guys do have a certain influence on how maybe certain characters are carried along and, and portrayed and featured going forward. Absolutely, I have learned so much from my readers. Even just my craft, like writing, what they like, what they don't like, taking in all this information, I've learned so much from them, from the characters. Like I said, from the craft everything. Like when I went into book two, I had a much clearer idea of how what I was doing was being perceived because it was the first time that my work was being perceived on such a large scale from completely anonymous people that I had never met before. And what I have learned has been absolutely invaluable. And I couldn't thank my readers enough again for everything that they've taught me. And I think it made book two so much better for all of their feedback and input. And I, I totally agree with that. And for all of you guys, I hope you didn't let something glaze over you, right? That A.E. said, I'm going to bring it back up. A.E. said, this is the first series. This is the first book, two of a series. This is not her first book that she's done. And the reason I'm pointing that out is for anybody who's done a book and she just said it, this is the first one that's hit this scale. You got to keep writing. You got to find your niche. You got to find your way of putting these things out there. Oh, absolutely. I completely encourage anybody who's writing, who has like a little notepad or a napkin that they're scribbling on, who publishes on Wattpad, who has it, you know, whatever it is, whoever you are, if you have a passion for it, pursue it. You know, you can, you can't really fail if you go for your dreams, you know. You'll eventually hit your Ashling. You can't name it that. <laughs> yeah. You cannot name it that, right? Because my buddy has that. You, you can't have that. I, I, I will strike you down. In, in the name of the king and queen there. But yeah. <laughs> no, you, you can't have that one, but you will eventually hit if you keep going, right? If you stop, there's only one thing that's guaranteed to happen. You won't reach that plateau. Mm-hmm. You won't reach that mountaintop if you stop writing. That's a guarantee. But if you keep going, you never know. So, A.E., where can people find Ashling series? Where can they find any of your other works, where can they find you if they just want to reach out and talk about the world building and the fantasy world that you're putting together? Where where could they find it? You can find my books anywhere you buy books online and then select stores around where I live locally. And then you can follow me on all my uh, social medias. It's mostly just A.E. Jurgens on Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. I have a website. And then I also do a lot of my own artwork. I put a lot of it on Instagram. A lot of it is on my website and then on my Pinterest. And I have like a link tree linked on my 
Instagram and everything with all of that. So the artwork is something that I've always loved drawing. But now I have a platform to share it with a lot of people and show my characters or a little bit of insight into how I see things. And that's been really special, too. So I'm really grateful for that. Nearly a graphic novel, guys. I say that because I've seen some of A's. I've had the pleasure of being able to see it over the last few months. Hasn't quite been, like I told you guys before, it hasn't even been a year since she released the first book in this series. It's been a little over, might be getting close to seven months, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, close to seven months, yeah. Close to seven I, I, months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would love, I would honestly love to release, uh, with the second book, I included a lot more illustrations because, again, that was something I learned from my readers was that they wanted more of that. So I made it a little bit more personal in my second book. I did the maps and everything. I designed my maps and I did the illustrations on the chapter headings. So that was really special to be able to do for book two. And then I'd eventually, once I finish the Ashling series, which will be three books, I want to do a graphic novel which would be like a prequel series that actually tells the story of Ina, the character I was talking about before. I would love to do a graphic novel. So hopefully that's something to look forward to eventually. World building. I'm just saying. She yeah. has a plan. <laughs> she has a plan here, guys. You better follow along and go forward with it, right? I want to say she's the second person, not the second person to do world building coming on here, but the second one to specifically mention it, right? And if, mm-hmm. if you got somebody who's world building, there goes your Harry Potter, your Lord of the Rings, your things of that nature where you're getting stories within stories, worlds within a world, if that's yeah. what you're into, right? Yeah. So, A.E., before we get out of here, is there anything that you would like to share with the readers, other authors, reviewers, librarians, anybody that would be listening here today? I guess, you know, growing up, I know that like, let's see here, I'm 27. But when I was younger, being like into fantasy and mythology was considered a little nerdy. <laughs> so it took me some time as I kind of grew up to be like, who cares what everyone else thinks? This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love. This is what I want to do with my life. And thinking, you only got one life to do it. So you might as well just lean into what you love, find a community who loves it like you do, and just really grow into your passion. And I recommend that for anybody who's self-conscious about what they like, anybody who's unsure about whether or not they have the talent for it. You will get the talent with enough practice. Lead with passion is always my number one thing. And I've had a lot of readers and writers reach out to me asking me, like, where where do you start writing a book? And that's always my advice. You don't need an outline yet. I know with, for example, with you, you have your mystery novels, and I assume you do need a lot more planning and meticulous kind of uh, outlining and stuff. But my advice was always to lead with passion and you can go back and edit and and do all that stuff. But if you have something you're passionate about or a dream you want to pursue, that's what I always recommend is to just lead with your passion. I'm trying to think of the term because as you mentioned that I've heard about different types of writers, it's pantsers and I can't think of the other term, but it's basically those who kind of plan out their writing. And then there's those who just kind of go like, okay, I'm going to start writing. Whatever happens, happens. And I can't think of the term right now. Yeah. It's somewhere in the first two seasons, somewhere somebody mentioned it. And I I hope it comes up again sometime this season so I can write it down or remember it. But I mean, yeah, Yeah, you know, whatever style fits you. Exactly. Yeah. My dad is a writer as well. He is someone who likes to outline 
every last detail of every chapter. And I, I, for the life of me, cannot. I have to just write it and see where it takes me. <laughs> but I understand that with different genres, for example, there is a level of planning that needs to be done ahead of time. For example, like with mystery novel writing, I can't even begin to imagine how meticulous you have to be. And you have to be so smart to be able to come up with all of the different like connecting plot lines and characters and backstories. So I, I love all that. And in fantasy, you do that as well to a degree. But like I said, for me, it's always been very natural, a progression of this character moves over here. And so it always kind of happens naturally. Whereas I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, for a mystery novel, it's more of like a plan ahead of time, know the answer before anybody else does kind of a thing. Certain things, yes. Right. Because you got to kind of lead into it. But certain things, not so much. Right. It, it just kind of depends mm-hmm. on what it is like I outline. And when I when I say outline, it's very loose term as I'm doing my quotation marks here. It's more so ideas that I don't want to forget going into mm-hmm. that particular book right now. However, it comes out it, when I start to write it, it might come out completely differently, but it's there. Right. It's more so certain ideas. I don't want to forget certain characters. I want to make sure stay consistent. And, and, and then Absolutely. Yeah, so it's certain things, yes, certain things, not so much. You know, the law is kind of you know, the more agitating thing about all of it, but we kind of go take some liberties with that as well. So, you know, yeah, either way, either way. A.E., I really want to thank you for coming on here. I want to congratulate you not only on the first with Ashley, I want to congratulate you on coming up the release of a spell unbinding out February 4th, where you can find books, of course, on Amazon. And if you listen to what she said earlier in stores around her area, how did you even do that? Eh? Can, can you not explain to people <laughs> the work that goes yeah. into Well, I went in and I asked. <laughs> I went in to a few stores and I just kind of was like, hey, I'm, I'm a debut author and I have this book and um, I'd like to have it in stores. And some of them, you know, were kind of like, they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come back to us in some time or, or like, no, we don't do that here. We don't do order on demand books or, or print on right. demand books. And then other people were like, yeah, absolutely. We'd love that. And then I kind of just, I was a little annoying. I would just go in and be like, hey, like, I'm just back checking in. I would love to have my book here or I would email them. Um, like I said before, I'm very introverted and I yeah. consider myself a little awkward. So my husband, who's very extroverted, would go up and he'd be like, hey, my wife has this book. Do, what do you guys think about putting it in? And just kind of like we kept asking, very polite, always very nice, um, kind of right. seeing the vibe. We weren't being too aggressive or anything like that, but we just went in and we asked and we saw there and then eventually we got it into several stores so initially they the the store would buy like one or two books and then with the popularity if they saw that people were coming in and buying them and they were doing well then they would order 10 books and then 15 and then you know that kind of a thing so it was definitely a snowball effect but it all started from me just walking in and embarrassing myself sometimes but (laughs) eventually just asking yeah and what I learned from that is you guys got to be willing to do the footwork, right? Also, yeah. you spouses now have a little bit of a, yeah, that's right. You spouses and significant others now have a little bit of a, <laughs> probably got an eyeball on you now. Yeah. You know, they, they went in there with her sometimes or even for in certain cases made those check-ins as well. But guys, you, you don't get, I don't even want to say popular. That's not even a word. You don't get noticed just by putting out a book mm-hmm. and then hoping it manifests and steps away. You just don't. 
right? And I know I need to do some more stuff with my book and work on it in the second one because I started the podcast before I put out the second book. So a lot of my energy was in this, but I mean, yeah, whenever I get some down, I, I try to put a little bit more into it, but it's what you got to do, right? That's how I got my book Absolutely. In I had to walk into a store. I had to send emails first and then try to walk into stores and you got to do the work, guys. All right. Absolutely. So, A.E., Love that I was able to get you on, uh, representing here for Atmosphere Press, guys, on this Fantasy Friday. Another hot spot episode, Lit Lovers and Word Warriors. You just wait to see who we put on the spot next time. If you're an author looking to tell your story or a reader looking for the next great one to dive into, join us at theauthorspot.com for books, reviews, and other great tools.